Welcome to the Shelf Warmers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm your co-host, Sugu, and tonight we're going to continue our discussion about Wanda, but also talk about a question that I've been bothering Darby for, I think, two weeks now. I'm your co-host, Darby, and we're going to talk about world building in fiction and how world building failed Wanda. Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, the author of the novels Ever the Hero and A Country of Eternal Light. I'm a senior writer for Screen Rant. I collect comic books, Star Wars toys, and things I really should not be buying. <laughs> and I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. I collect mostly Transformers, but I've recently started collecting Marvel Legends figures and die-cast cars, such as Hot Wheels. Since living in Japan, I've developed an interest in tabletop gaming, so I also have a wide collection of board games. Tonight, as part of a continuation of our last episode about Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse of Madness, uh, we're going to continue talking about that in relation to... Uh, the writing process specifically Darby I asked you a question about how you research things for your books um, mm. and we thought it'd actually be a, a good episode to kind of let the whole world know kind of about your process and how you research so all right so uh, let's start with um, well a couple weeks ago uh, basically, the context is a couple weeks ago, I got an idea for a world, not a story so much, but a world. And I started writing it down. And as I was writing, I realized I know very little uh, in general. I, I, I don't know anything. So it's <laughs> um, you and me both. <laughs> So I realized that in order for me to kind of flesh out the world that I had in my head to be somewhat authentic and maybe not realistic, but real realistic feeling, um, not to be like, uh, although, you know, these days, this world that we're living in, it feels more and more like just a bad rejected script, but, um, <laughs> But I, I wanted to give it some sense of authenticity and some sort of um, like legitimacy, and that's where I realized like I just don't know how how to go about this, and so I sent you a message asking you like when you were building your ever the hero, uh, or not ever the hero but ever verse when you were building the world, what research did you do not about the character necessarily but about how the world functions, the rules about the world, why certain things uh, work a certain way and why they don't work a different way or the impacts of some other decisions, stuff like that is kind of my meaning for it. So that was kind of the start of this topic. Now, your answer was about Eververse, but I think 
with that question in mind, let's first go to Doctor Strange and specifically Wanda so that we can kind of talk about like a baseline and then talk about your world and the specifics. So with that in mind, take it away. What about Wanda is uh, like you said your your opinion soured on her. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about the movie last week with Matt and um, I think we all like the movie and I, I I like the movie um, and then on you know watching it again my opinion on the portrayal of Wanda started to sour and there's a lot of reasons for that and and people are like what does Wanda have to do with world building I, I think there are some we talked about this a little bit on our, in our discussion about the movie there are some missing narrative justifications in the movie. Yes. Um, that on rewatch for me really soured, and I've noticed this for other people as well. To the point that this has sort of become a, I think a maybe a prevailing theme here in the last week in sort of the discourse that I've seen, at least regarding Wanda. And I think the movie in general has been met with, uh, you know, I think people like it. And to the point where um, there's two things that I sort of felt were tipping points. One is is I saw a remark from uh, Comic Book Herald, who is uh, a great YouTube channel, by the way, discussing, you know, sort of critical uh, just analysis and appreciation of comic books, equating uh, House of M, the comic book uh, storyline, with the killing joke. Okay in the sense that you and I have talked about a little bit where the killing joke generally regarded as one of the you know best comic books of the last 40 years and the sort except of high I watermark except you hate it and everybody <laughs> hates it and um, everybody hates it because of what happened to Barbara yeah and, to me it seems really crass and really pejorative about Barbara and and pejorative was a use a word I used regarding Wanda in our discussion mm-hmm. last week why I bring and, it up this time. Yeah, and I I saw that and and I and that sort of crystallized my thoughts about what happens in this movie and what's happened with Wanda in the last 35 years in the comic books and I've talked about here and there somewhere on the pod about Wanda being an instrument basically of editorial. Yeah. You mentioned that accom- last week. Okay. Yeah. To accomplish their aims whatever they were at the time and then th- taking away her agency taking away her quality as a character i love wanda uh, wanda is a fascinating character in a lot of ways um she's a powerful character she's 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 aspirational in that way there's a great schoolyard like who could beat who quality to this movie that is you know admittedly very fun and mm-hmm. very just you know oh my gosh holy shit when she, you know when she destroys the Illuminati, there there is something very you know fun about it, and some of the most interesting conversations I've had this week are people who were simulta- simultaneously exhilarated and horrified by what happens in that scene. I mean, even in our episode, we spent a lot of time talking about just the Illuminati. Yeah, and uh, like that was the bulk of maybe not bulk, but that was a large chunk of our conversation last week. Yeah. So. And people are, I think, are sort of circling this scene because of obviously what happens. It's it's a major scene in a lot of ways. There's so many layers to it. it it's the introduction 
of the X-Men and Fantastic Four and Inhumans to the MCU. It's it's a cameo it's cameo city, and then it's also um, the name name a horrific slaughter scene in any movie. You know, this is the Godfather Part Two where everybody gets whacked. This is the killing of Fredo. This this is the first ten minutes of Save a Private Ryan. This is the first ten minutes of Transformers. This is a bloodbath. This is the end of Carrie. This is a bloodbath for the ages, in mm-hmm. which she destroys the most powerful characters in the Marvel universe one by one in the most horrific way you can imagine. Um, and there's, like I said, there's a schoolyard four-year-old like, wow, Wanda's the strongest. Of course, she's the strongest. Wanda is the most powerful person in the Marvel comics. And now the MCU, you simply can't beat her. And so that there's something childish in that. That's sort of fun about that. Within the context of the movie, it makes sense because Wanda is, is stated in the movie she'll do anything uh, to to get to her kids. What the problem is is I think there's layers to that as well. There's missing narrative justifications, which we talked about last week, as to why she's doing this. Mm-hmm. It's pejorative. It it to your point last week you had said you know i i had asked if she was uh redeemable and you're like no mm-hmm. and the a lot of people's concerns in the comic books is the last 20 years have been the same is she redeemable after what happened in house of m um because she you know she did something even worse in house of m which was the erasure of tens of thousands of mutants she she just she destroyed uh an entire race of people her own people and also rewrote Last, reality. I mean, Spider-Man was re, a wrestler, yeah. right? Yeah, she rewrote reality to bring the boys back, Tommy and Billy. Um, so basically what happens in this movie is the same, except the circumstances are different. She destroys everything to get her boys back. And then I read an interview with Michael Waldron, who is the the writer of the movie. And Michael Waldron is someone who's coming up super fast in the MCU. He wrote Loki. He wrote this. He's writing another un, unmentioned Marvel movie, and he's writing the Kevin Feige Star Wars movie. He's got a big shining star on him. And then they, the interviewer asked him. I think this was the Hollywood Reporter, Variety, one of the two. And they asked him, you know, what, what, where did this concept of turning Wanda into the monster come from? And he's like, well, that's just what happened in the comics, so that's what what we went with. And I thought that for me was the other. I mentioned the the crystallization with the tweet from Dave from Comic Book Herald. Um, this was the other one, and so kind of approaching what we were talking about world 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 building. Um, making Wanda evil in the MCU just because she was in the comics is very poor one world building and poor justification. And also to me displayed a real lack of understanding of Wanda as a character. And that started to make me feel really anxious about some of this stuff and where we're going with Wanda, because it's not just Michael Waldron is like, you know what? I'm going to turn Wanda into a monster. This is a executive decision at MCU. And Elizabeth Olsen has talked about in interviews this past week, too, about her anxiety about coming out of WandaVision into this movie, knowing what was going to happen, and then sort of being uncertain about this direction they were going with Wanda. And then her justification as an actress was was to, you know, um, understand this version of Wanda and give her best performance, right? 
mm-hmm. get you know deliver deliver performance that in her mind justified. I think there's no there's no qualms or concerns about Elizabeth Olsen. I think she sold it. She sold it hard. Um, sure, absolutely. But Wanda's turn to evil in the comic books is poor world building. It's a lack of understanding about Wanda. Wanda is a football that keeps getting kicked around because she's untethered to any kind. So, for example, for contrast, Spider-Man world building is set in concrete. It's been curing since 1962. Amazing Fantasy 15 establishes all the parameters, right? Uncle Ben, great power, great responsibility. All of those sort of keystone uh, elements of Spider-Man's origin, which are present in every adaptation and, and you know, or just echo through the comics to this day. They're set in stone. They're in, you know, they're, you, you can't violate them. Wanda, her origin, they've shifted like 10 times. Her father has been Magneto. It's been a guy called the Wizard. Then it was the High Evolutionary. Now it's Magneto again. Her mom was this nameless woman who now is a Romani Jew. Um, then she was experimented on by the High Evolutionary. She was influenced at birth by Catan through Chaos Magic, who tried to use her as a vessel to enter the world. Um, she's always an instrument or a, a pawn for someone. Catan, Amortis, who's a variant of Kang the Conqueror, her father, from the very beginning, Brotherhood of Mutants. Uh, In the MCU, some, she was a, a tool for Strucker. Yeah, she's a she's a tool for someone, and now here she she's a tool of the MCU itself, and of a movie that needed to have a villain, and misunderstood, in my opinion, um, who Wanda is and why, and Wanda doesn't want her kids because she's evil. She wants her kids because, at the end of WandaVision, she's let them go. She's she did she didn't wake up and it's like I'm done grieving now. That's not what happened. But she's, she accepted what happened. She let them go. Then she starts experimenting with the Darkhold. And then WandaVision ends with her hearing her kids asking for help. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, that never comes up in the movie. It right. doesn't come up at all that the kids need help. Which is an enormous narrative justification for her trying to get to her kids. Right. Her justification in the movie is that I, I just want my kids. Right. And I'm being reasonable, so get out of my way. That's bad world building. That's bad narrative uh, understanding. Um, it's bad character development. Um, Wand- the other missing ju- justification is the fact that the Darkhold has influenced her horribly to this point. And we don't have a scene in which Wanda acknowledges this herself. Where is Wanda fighting Wanda? Where is Wanda saying, I, I, where is Wanda looking in the mirror? Mirrors are a big part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Where is Wanda looking in the mirror and saying, what are you doing? What is happening to me? Like, you need to stop this. Like, look at yourself. Like, look at your hands. Your hands are covered in this black stuff. Like, you're, you're out here terrorizing teenage girls. You're, what are you doing? Where is the vision in the multiverse? Where is her asking the question? Where is, you know, when she gets to 838 or any of these universes and vision isn't there, where is, where, where is the narrative question? Where is Wanda's question? Where, you know, because vision is a natural sort of buffer on her sort of worst impulses. 
and vision sort of you know when she's like i'm you know i'm, I'm she has a lot of anger wanda she has a lot of she, her default reaction to everything is anger because she's bitter about her entire life and vision comes in and he's like vision who's never angry about anything and he gives you know and he's like but you know but wanda like this is okay right now like you and me like you know like it's that was terrible but i'm here and then wanda calms down a bit where is that? Where is her just saying, you know what, vision isn't here. I have no, I have no buffer. I have no breaks on what's happening to me, right? Like, I, you know, and it's okay for her to say, I need someone to tell me to stop. That's okay, right, for her to say that. And for Dr. Strange to say, I'm not that person, Wanda, because you want to know why? Because I'm just like you. I don't stop. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy who does the thing. I'm the guy, you know, well, Wong is always there. Wong's like, don't do it, Steven. And Steven's like, winks at him, right? You're like, you know. So the I, I feel like it's bad character development. I hope this is making sense. I feel like it's bad world building because the world building in the comics is flawed because they're, they're constantly making Wanda do things that they need her to do or because Wanda and Vision leave the Avengers in the 80s. They get married, they move to the suburbs, and they have the boys. And then that was Steve Englehart who wrote that and was sort of the custodian of Wanda and Vision during that period. Then John Byrne comes on to West Coast Avengers, and John Byrne hates the kids. John Byrne hates the idea of sort of domestic bliss. So he he's the one who introduces the concept of the fact that they were never real, and they were products of magic, and they were fra- they were Wanda derived them from fragments of Mephisto's soul in the comics. Okay. That leads to a series of dominoes 15 years later that ultimately leads to House of M, her uh, altering reality to bring the boys back. And then when that reality is punctured by a lot of white guys yelling at her, but telling her to get over her grief over her unreal boys, she lashes out and she destroys the majority of mutants in the world, which led to then almost 20 years now hence of her just being in exile in a pariah and it's just recently they've sort of rectified this in the comics relative to where she is with the mutants. And they, they she's been brought back into the fold and there's been some quote-unquote redemption. And she's back in the family with Magneto. And I like all that. I, I want to be clear on that. I think that's important because that's that's where Wanda belongs. Um, and Wanda, spoilers for current X-Men comics, Wanda sort of re- redeems herself by creating a, a, a mutant afterlife where she saves she saves through her power she creates a reality which is similar to a lot of this is what's going on in the MC right now with the uh the ancient egyptian gods sort of result in moon knight reside in this sort of their own alternate reality dimensional plane the asgardians Mm -hmm. do the the gods of olympus she creates that for mutants and she prevents forever forever and ever any you know the the ultimate death of mutants and that's a staggering thing that that you know that's a it's a beautiful thing in a way and and that that's there's a lot to that that i won't get into today it's not really what we're talking about but that that's sort of what's happened recently and i i fear for wanda's sort of path in the mcu i i know she's she's not dead she's coming back and there'll be some sort of redemption on her part but I just feel like having seen the movie again, having thought about it, I've just really soured on it. I was thinking about what you were asking about world building, and I thought this is a product of a lot of things. This is a fundamental misunderstanding of Wanda that's born out of a fundamental misunderstanding and a fundamental flaw in creating her backstory slash world building going back to 1964. 
So, there's a couple things that I was thinking about while you were while you were talking about kind of <laughs> my monologue. <laughs> yeah, to kind of go on, um, Wanda. You know, I think it's. I, I think some people forget that the Scarlet Witch was actually a villain in the beginning, she and was. then became a hero, and then I guess in the comics became a villain again. Um, but one thing, you know, since we talked about Doctor Strange, uh, I talked with some people who have not watched the Disney Plus shows. Yeah. They're only watching the MCU movies. So we last week we talked about how it was a bold decision of Marvel to just make it with very little touchstones. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of refresh people. And, you know, what? one thing that I noticed in, in the conversations that I had with people is, yeah, you, me, and Matt, we were fine without too many touchstones, so we could fill in the gaps and we could only kind of guess or hypothesize what people who hadn't watched uh, the Disney Plus shows would be going through or what they'd be thinking. Well, I've talked to people who haven't. And their reactions were actually kind of uniform that confusion, anger, and hatred. Like they were confused <laughs> at what was going on, like why all of this? Because the last time they saw Wanda, she was angry at Thanos for having killed Vision. And that's about it, right? Like she was going to pull him apart and then he rained fire on his own men and that was kind of the last time we saw her so very much decidedly good and that was it so the, that was the confusion like wait what happened there was this giant chunk that was missing because wanda starts off in a very different space but the other thing or then uh, so that was the confusion. But then the anger is because some people liked Wanda from the Avengers. And now she, like, without even missing a beat, started the movie as the villain. Right? Like, the the one scene where she was kind of like the good uh, Wanda, that was an illusion. You know, she, mm -hmm. she was like, I can't lie or something, some crazy thing like that. And so it was her all along. So the movie had missed a lot of opportunities for um, for catching people up. And I, like, I'll be honest, I didn't notice because I am caught up with the Disney Plus shows. Um, but I didn't. So one thing I was I was surprised at is I didn't realize people had like strong feelings against the Disney Plus shows. Like, for me, oh, really? it's, they're just kind of there, right? Like, I don't like having to subscribe to Disney Plus to watch them, but yeah. that's the way it is, so it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> I can't do much about it. I, I'm i not a production studio exec. I can't control that, so moving on with my life. But there are some people, <laughs> and I did not realize this, that are vehemently against Disney Plus in general and their refusal they're refusing to watch the Disney Plus shows which means that the MCU is now uh like leaving them behind. Yeah. 
and questions uh, about that huh i have questions about that yeah why they're why they're so against it uh yeah they're they're this comes down to several reasons one thing that i had mentioned in one conversation uh this is one person was saying like they were absolutely against the whole uh watch the movies and then watch the tv shows basically do homework as you and i had talked about um well and the thing is i pointed out you know the matrix was like this and i think you and i talked about this 20 odd years ago is how you have the matrix movies then you had the video game and then the Animatrix, and then there's a couple other things that you were expected to do this multimodal consumption and i didn't think it worked back then and then marvel is doing that now and for me it works because i'm caught up but if you're not caught up then it it fails really bad i have a lot of thoughts about this it's yeah, it's, yeah. this goes right this goes right to the heart of what we're talking about but with, with world building is that that the, the in any kind of writing you know screenwriting or, or literature the world building is this sort of uh is largely unseen but it's a but it it it's you and i when we were in college and um we heard a lot about this idea of building a bridge to the reader mm-hmm and world building is a lot of that is it's world building is works best when you're not when you're not actively thinking about it or seeing it right but you can then when you're talking to your friends or however you're having conversations about it you can say this and you can point to this as an example it's a pillar of world building and and it because it's it's a thing that it supports you know it, it's underlying everything and part of that is is providing enough you as the author providing enough to give the reader enough material to cross that bridge and then they start to see the other side and then they can they can work that in their brain their own mind a lot of ways they fill in some blanks or they'd recognize then the elements of it that you had not immediately made obvious that goes right to what we're talking about wanda and this whole project of the mcu i said last week and i still stand by this i respect the audacity of dr strange and it's like you know assuming you've seen wandavision i do mm-hmm. as, a, as a writer i i i feel like they mostly got away with it um where they didn't is the stuff i'm talking about here today yeah um where it was so to your point you were just saying we understand because we've seen these shows we've seen the movies i understand because i'm i'm i've got 40 years of comic book history in my back pocket i i know what's going on with wanda but if you haven't seen WandaVision, the last time to what you just said, the last time you as the viewer saw Wanda was three years ago. Was at the end of Avengers Endgame in which she's grieving over Vision. The next time you see her, she's talking about these kids. Who are these kids? You don't see Vision. And then, you know, she's Mama Bear, but she's also Carrie. Mm-hmm. And she kills she kills everyone, and it's there's no touchstone. And just... There's no so the world building fails because we don't know how Wanda got to this point in a macro sense, architectural sense. It yeah. it, it mostly works because you if you've seen all of it and the MCU is confident in the fact you've seen all of it. Um, 
that you you get it you fill in the blanks you're good to go and i i respect the hell out of that aspect of it but that doesn't mean we talked about i forget sugu it was recently but we talked about the idea uh, i might have been during the the trading cards episode the idea that uh, of in marvel comics that every person's first issue is their first issue yeah yeah so this the sort of editorial edict from jim shooter back in the late 70s 80s that was like you know every, every you know we're generating readers and everybody's first issue is is how they get in so you need a little bit of um recap mm-hmm. hand holding to get in and it's tedious and as a writer you're you know chris claremont sort of didn't like it and as you read them now you're like you know this is awful cyclops is like you know always telling you that he you know his powers right but but that but that was essential because of what we're talking about right now it's providing people who are new to it you know or or have been out of it a way to uh, an easier way a ramp to get back in and i feel like that's missing and not just not just a narrative on ramp but just the fundamental building blocks of the world building which wanda has struggled there are concrete elements of wanda's backstory going back to x-men number four her first appearance in 1964 that do inform a lot of what's going on with her, which is her, she starts as a villain and she starts immediately questioning Magneto and she's in X-Men number four. And she starts commenting on the fact that she can't really get away from the pull of Magneto. And then that's her story is that very quickly going into Avengers number 16, she becomes a, a member of the Avengers with her brother, Pietro Quicksilver and her, her, this tension exists within her between who am I, who do I want in this agency? And some of the most beautiful parts of her story are her claiming her agency. I'm a witch. I want to learn magic. I want to marry my boyfriend. I want to leave the Avengers. I want to have a family. I want to have some peace in my life. I want to understand who I am in my own power. And that then being ripped away by by writers who don't understand who she is, mm-hmm. who have editorial things that they're trying to accomplish and they can do it. Because as she's proved in the Illuminati scene, if you have a problem in your story, Wanda solves all your problems. Right. Because she can do anything. Right. So yeah, that is one of the problems. I, I don't like for my for myself. I don't really like that they made Wanda all powerful. I I, I never liked that. Sure. Um, it's always a problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I I you know to be fair, I didn't like that they did the same thing with Captain Marvel, um, Carol Danvers. When she finally got full use of her power, I didn't like that they made it, uh, made her all powerful. Um, it's the same thing with, uh, Star Wars. Um, the, the new titular character, uh, the daughter of Palpatine. Ugh. You're talking about, you're talking about Ray. Yeah, that's, uh, her. Um, that she could just jump into a Millennium Falcon and pilot it, you know, no, no problem. I don't really like that. And I'm not saying that it's because they're, they're women, because I do recognize the impact that Captain Marvel has on, on kids watching it. And I think that's great. And so because of that impact, apart from this podcast, I'm keeping that opinion. I'm keeping my mouth shut on it because I think it's great. I think it's great that the, the kids that are coming up are watching Captain Marvel and are identifying yeah. with her being so powerful. I mean, I, th- I think that's great. 
Um, my favorite scene yeah. in Captain Marvel was the flashback where she says she's human, and then it flashes back to all the times that she's fallen, but she gets up every time. Like that yes. scene is extremely powerful, and I think that's more powerful than the fact that she's all powerful and can do everything. Scarlet Witch, same thing. I don't like that she's all powerful. Um, it's a problem. Have, like Neo had the same problem in the Matrix. When you make an all powerful uh, person, you're 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 doing a disservice to the story. Well, I may I may mute here, FYI, Sugu. That someone's running the mower out there, so if it gets too loud, I I may just take you know take a pause. But no worries. But uh, yeah, the microphone's not picking it up. Okay. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here. We're gonna take a quick break to let you know about some exciting developments on the podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you like our content and you want more of it, you can subscribe to our channel and get additional conversations between Sugu and I. So stick around after the episode for a quick sample of what you could get. If you want to give us any feedback, feel free to let us know your thoughts and opinions at shelfwarmers at gmail.com or on Twitter, yeah. at Shelfwarmers. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. I have a lot of thoughts about this idea of the super powerful women, so I'm writing one uh, in Kit Baldwin, and Kit is in where she where she's at at the end of uh, book three for folks who've read it, Nothing Ever Ends, is very close to where Wanda is. Uh, in the, Kit has the ability to alter and manipulate matter uh, and energy. And she does this in a way that uh, is staggering for folks who are following the series. And I'm a big fan, going back to when I was a kid, of really powerful women in comic books. Mm -hmm. And that's Wanda, that's Storm, that's Jean, that's Rachel. So I was asked once, uh, what was my fascination with Rachel? And was it, what about the power of Rachel Summers was fascinating? I don't think I answered it very well. There's a lot of reasons I'm attracted to Rachel, um, that she's one of my favorite characters, and part of it is the power aspect of it, and that bleeds into Kit, obviously. Um, but I do like the idea of these all-powerful characters, but what I like is confronting them with things that their power then is challenged by. And, and so I wanted to create in Kit a character who learns through the process of discovery the extent of her power and then also the limit. Mm -hmm. And so Kit is not Wanda. Kit can't snap her fingers and alter reality on a scale similar to what she did in House of M, although Kit discovers, spoilers, that there is an aspect of altering reality to the ever that becomes important later. I won't I won't spoil that for the books, but if you've read the books, then you know what I'm talking about. Which I have. I'm um, yeah, and but but Kit isn't Wanda, but but Kit is someone who, um, if you put her in an Illuminati scene, Kit Kit would be the wrecking ball that Wanda is. Uh, she hasn't done anything like that in the in the books, and she won't because that's not who she is. She's not a she's not Carrie, um, and that would never happen because the world building is there in place that's going to prevent that. And so, um, you know, it's, you, you know, who kit is, you know, who the other characters are, you know, what the world is and you're laying it down. There's an aspect, it's an ongoing series. So you're laying down track as you're going, but 
the, as you get to the end, go into the future, hopefully the new things that develop then make sense and feel natural and feel like a natural evolution because those things are there from the beginning. There are big things, for example, coming in book four and five that are, are huge, epic, oh my gosh, hopefully, developments that people are going to be like, whoa, and then they're going to, when they go back to book one, they're going to discover that those things were in place. And part of that is the world building, and part of that is kind of knowing to your questions, then, you know, to maybe bring it back here to the world building thing proper, is your questions about, like, where do you start, how do you begin, what what's your aspect of research, and how maybe do you anchor you know, when you're building that bridge to the reader, where do you start? You know, when you're building a bridge, a big, a big bridge in reality, you you generally start with the supports, right? Yeah. You're not gonna, <laughs> you kind of need to, given the physics, and that's the same thing in writing, really. You're starting, you're starting with the supports. What what is on what is, what is the underlying structure, of the world, and what is the what is holding up these things, and that's understanding your characters. It's understanding their history. It's understanding things the readers will never know about the world. Um, you know, I, I might have mentioned in, in when as you asked me some things about the world, you know, that you, as, a, as a writer you're conscious of that aren't really in the story, but they inform the stuff that you see in the story. So, yeah, know. so um, let's, let's put Wanda aside and, and talk about the Eververse for a second here. Um, yeah. You mentioned that the the ever deals with a form of a multiverse, and they deal with some reality bending. Or what research did you do about that? And then yeah. how did you kind of go about developing the concept? And and how did you like kind of get do the research to solidify that concept? So I I my instinct with the ever in the very beginning. Uh, separate from Kit, was that the ever came from the multiverse because I wanted to, and so that the in book one, ever the hero, the ever literally falls out of a hole in the sky into breakpoint in 1968 and crashes, falls out of something called the in-between. There's actually something uh, similar to this in Doctor Strange. They're running around in uh, America and Doctor Strange are running around in a sort of a between place, a gap place, but uh, there's something called the in-between. The in-between is uh, is it literally uh, in-between all dimensions and all realities, and the ever comes from one, and you don't know why, you don't know where, it's a mystery. Um, but I knew from the beginning that the ever, what the, what, what the ever is, uh, what it's doing, uh, these are all spoilers in the book, really book three, you find out in book three what the ever's mission is, mm-hmm. why it, not why it's on earth, but what it's doing. Um, and what it's carrying as its cargo in the ship. The ship is this uh, uh, globular vessel. It's round, it's spherical, it just crashes into the middle of breakpoint. Uh, it has what Kit calls the core, uh, which is this uh, massive crystalline sort of amorphous object in the middle of the ship. Uh, she thinks of it as the engine of the ship, uh, not the engine. <laughs> it's something else. Uh, the Ever is then a proxy for the core. Uh, the Ever is. I, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna bore people with all this. But so I knew what all these things were, and I knew what the project of the Ever was. Um, and it's then therefore its powers, which was which are massive. They're cosmic powers. 
And so Kit fuses with the Ever, and then she beca- she gains these powers. She doesn't quite understand them. She doesn't know the origin of the Ever. She doesn't know the project of the Ever necessarily, other than the, the Ever is always telling her the work must continue, which is that's uh, acquiring, zapping, uh, go- you know, gobbling up everybody on Earth, and really the universe that the Ever has found itself in. Okay, so real quickly, because this isn't in the book, so why did it's you not, choose 1968? Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Uh, originally, I, I originally I was attracted to the idea of having some fun with some comic book history, and I wanted it was originally 1938, and uh, I wanted to sort of mirror the ages of comic books, beginning with the Golden Age, and that proved unwieldy. Uh, I couldn't do that, and then I chose 1968 because that was closer in time to. I wanted it to be 50 years later in the book. Uh, 50 years had passed, and that put me in the current day, day when I was writing it. So 1968 plus 50 would be 2018. Yeah. To, to, so in the for in Ever the Hero, it's 2018. It's 50 years. It's the 50th anniversary of the crash. Uh, and and I wanted to start there, and I wanted there to be a legacy, and I wanted enough time to have passed for the consequences of this massive event to have rippled through, and then those are world-building things I knew. So some of that you start to see in book one, some of it you start to see in book two, and that's there's something called the Doomsday Clock Alarm, uh, which is essentially World War Three, uh, mm. which happens in ni- 1983. Uh, that then uh, there are massive consequences to that in the world, obviously, um, that you only find out about in book two. And even then, it's it's not a deep dive on it, other than it's this horrible thing that happened that connected to a lot of the characters and backstory. One of the consequences of that, of, of the Doomsday Clock Alarm, is that's the Soviet Union trying to create their own empowered because the ship crashes in breakpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, ship gener- the ship leaks radiation it creates the empowered which are only uh, so far as readers know at this moment so far only American this leads to the, uh, an arms race so along those lines um, did you do research on the actual historical arms race to yes. inform your uh, to inform your story yeah so it was a lot of there's a lot of research about 1968. The the this sort of historical and 1968 is a flashpoint in American history and in world history. And I I felt it was a good spot to have this happen because um, there the some of the stuff that the book is dealing with is stuff that we're dealing with in the world today. Uh, classism, racism, sexism, and a lot of what happens in 1968 in America is still relevant sadly to what is happening right now so i wanted to echo some of that and i wanted it to be far enough back in the history of the world that there was the history of the world it differs from ours uh, it's so the history of the world of the eververse is the same as ours till 1968 mm-hmm. and then begins to diverge dramatically after that so one of the things um for example uh, one of the things that no one knows, the readers don't know, uh, the president of the United States is referenced in book one or two as a she. You've never met her. You don't know who this is. Um, this is a Republic, Republican uh, woman. Uh, she's a Republican president. She had been a senator from Georgia. Um, I don't know that you'll ever meet her, but I know who she is. I know how she got there, and I know what she represents. Um, you'll get, find out a little bit more about her in book four, I think. 
um, that has to deal more with the political aspect of the United States in the moment. But that's who the president is at the time of the books. Uh, that, but that's not, I know all that, but the reader doesn't, so for example. So let me ask you, because that's, that's fascinating. Let me ask you this. Yeah. How did you get there? Um, in 1968, the president was... Uh, uh, at the time, of, it's, jo- it's Johnson, and then Nixon wins that, that November. Right. Okay. So in, in the Eververse, what happens then? Did Nixon win? He did not. Okay. That means it was Mondale. It was, it was Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy. Okay. Yeah, so that means Bobby yeah. Kennedy. President was not President President Kennedy is referenced somewhere in the books. And it's actually Robert Kennedy then. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That means he was never assassinated. That's correct. So, at that point, you started changing history. Now, how did you, um, like, how did you get there? Did you say like, okay, so. The, the ship crashes in 1968. That means uh, Bobby Kennedy is no longer assassinated. Therefore, he runs for president. Therefore, he gets elected there. Like, is that how you do it? Or how did you get that it's political actually, ancillary? Yeah. Detail? Yeah. So you were kind of asked me a little bit about some of this in the, when we were messaging and it's, it's actually working backwards and it's, it's, we talked a little bit on the pod when we talked about the book in between uh, sort of this idea of Russian doll uh, sort of thoughts and the, the world building is a little bit of Russian doll. I don't really know it until I know it okay. or I don't, I don't really access it until I get there, but it's a little bit of working backwards. So the ship crashes on May 3rd, 1968. And this is uh, prior to the death of Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy is probably the, in terms of just, American history, the the biggest point of divergence immediately in uh, what happens. Because the, the, the ship, I haven't got into this in the book yet. You can kind of, you get the vibe though, and that's what I was talking about. The reader can kind of infer this. The the crash of an alien ship in, in, in a major American city results in massive cultural, uh, political, everything you can, this is, this is a shock uh, to the system uh, uh, that's unimaginable. This leads to just immediate divergence and 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 the practical and and uh, just the reality of the world. And so you have things like Bobby Kennedy that differ. Bobby Kennedy then wins the nomination, uh, and then he becomes president in uh, November of well January of 1969. Another thing that doesn't happen in 1969 is the moon landing, and you'll find out about this uh, a little bit later in the books. Uh, there's something mentioned in book one called Project Canary. It gets referenced a couple more times. Uh, you're going to find out about Project Canary eventually. Folks may be curious about that. Um, the, um, but it's working backwards. So how did we get here? How did we get here? What happened? So all these things that have happened in the last 50 years in American history, did they happen the same way? No. So, you know, Doomsday Clock Alarm happens in 1983. That's World War III. Uh, So you don't have the peaceful collapse of the Soviet Union in in 1990. You have the uh, atomic destruction of it in 1983. Okay. Um, That leads to massive, horrible consequences for the Soviet Union. And Western Europe, and that leads ultimately to, to someone called uh, Molly Swift, who is a key figure in the books, and that leads to the Albion trials in the UK, and that leads ultimately to a character named Morgan, uh, who uh, 
folks will be familiar with if you've read book three. So um, all these things are bound up together. So as I was developing the backstory of Molly, uh, then consequently Valene, uh, Morgan, Abby, I, I had to think about all of this. How did, what was the sequence of events that got us from 1968 to 1983 to 1987 when Valene is born uh, to 1992 when Kit is born? Uh, and then, you know, what is, what is, the, what is the state of America and all these, how does the cultural... Things so basically what the ship does. I I don't think I, I still don't think I'm answering your question, Sugu. I'm sorry. Well, the, you actually happen- bring up two points that may, might help in answering the question, and also okay. might kind of direct it. Um, okay. One is Breakpoint. You said is a major American city. It's 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 a yeah. There's a, it's a it's a major midwestern industrial city. It's about a million people in there. In the real world, what would you compare it to? Waterloo? Uh, no. It's so it's bigger than Waterloo. It's sort of like Cleveland. It's Cincinnati. Okay, got it. Okay, and then the other thing, the other question is that you said you know that you're working backward, and you get to uh, Bobby Kennedy not being assassinated, and then that causes the yeah. ripple effects of all these different changes that go up yeah, to 1987. Yeah. So my question is, what research did you do to A, determine that Bobby Kennedy would not be assassinated, and then B, to determine the ripple effect? Like, you know, like for example, and this might be my downfall as a, <laughs> as a writer, is yeah. in my world, like not my writing world, but in, in my view, if I was going to write something like that, if I was going to think about something like that, I would I would try to read every Life magazine, for example, from May 31st, 1968 to 1987, just to kind of see what happened in, his, in history on the, not pop culture side, but on like the regular society side, just to really understand all the different minutia and all the different elements of culture from 1968 to 1987. Um, very intensive research is part of it. So like for book one, um, the political uh, sort of uh, uh, ins and outs of breakpoint in book one, uh, there's a lot of stuff involving the city council. I attended city council meetings in Chicago uh, to do research. I did enormous amounts of research on, on I, I read transcripts of city council meetings uh, from Chicago. I did, at one point, the uh, breakpoint was early, very early on in the development process. Breakpoint was actually New York City at one point, and then it was Chicago. And so I did enormous amounts of research like on the New York and Chicago subways and development of the mass transit, that type of thing, mm-hmm. that all go into building breakpoints sort of... Uh, subway uh kind of a thing uh the uh, kit gets into the ship via the subway because the ship craters into the city and and breaks through the subway tunnels below and a kid is able to, to so I, I had to that's all out of my research in chicago so that that's enormous amount of research that goes into things like that um things that just like go into so kit's dad is actually was a was a uh GM Motor. He worked at the for GM Motors at the auto production plant in Detroit until they were all laid off. So in 1980, GM laid off right. a ton of workers. 
uh, Kit's dad was one of them. And then Kit's dad moves to Breakpoint in 1980. Uh, he eventually meets her mom. Uh, Kit's mom is from Ireland. She comes over, as a lot of Irish do, uh, in the in the 80s there, looking for work. She ends up in Breakpoint. They meet, and they have Kit uh, in the early 90s. Uh, they meet at an Elvis Presley concert. Another divergence in history. Um, the uh, the uh, Elvis is still living. Yes, and he's touring, and he's uh, in Breakpoint, and they, that's where that's how that works out. Um, it's something not in the books. Um, real, real a lot quickly, of kids, when was Elvis yeah. born? Uh, he is born in. I don't know about his birth date, but he he he's, he's uh, in the war, so. He's old enough to uh, serve. Uh, he dies in 1978 or 9. Um, yeah, so he would be in his 60s in uh, the story. Okay, got it. Uh, um, still touring? The right. Still touring, Elvis. Um, but it's so it's, it's that intensive research into the minutia, but to what you're asking about reading all the magazines. So really, when it comes to the historical points, it's just, it's, um, it is studying a lot of that, the sort of major points in history that are relative to what I'm thinking about, and then just zigging and zagging because the st- the story, you know, the backstory is I just I just need to understand it. There's because not all of it becomes relevant to the story, like the fact that the president is Republican, and she's a woman is not relevant to the story yet, mm-hmm. but. I know who she is. I know what led to her being president. I know what the political circumstances in the United States are. They're similar to what they are now. They're accelerated, though, mm-hmm. because of what... Uh, it, so the sh- crash of the ship accelerated everything in the United States. So a lot of the flashpoints politically and culturally in the United States that we're dealing with in 2022 happened much sooner uh, in in the America of the story. Okay. And then that that uh, so folks wondering, well, how do you get to a Republican president who's a woman? Maybe I, for right now, I'd ask them to think about that themselves, um, you know, and maybe, you know, as the story progresses, I'll get maybe we'll get to that in more detail. But it's a questioning. It's a it's a thinking. It's a it's a it, it, it's taking those sort of things and threading them out. And so it's a lot of it's a lot of speculation and hypothesis because you're creating something and you're, sure. you're sort of you're taking a thread of history and you're like, well, what if, and going, you know, going down this road and, and that road and understanding what the big sort of touch, you know, the sort of, uh, the absolute, you know, sort of things that you need to know are, uh, the sort of absolute events and absolute dates. And then uh, you don't know everything cause you can't know everything. And then it's under, and then understanding that and, and understanding the underpinnings of the whole thing, and then, you know, learning about, you know, understanding about character. And so one thing I don't do, most of this is in my head. And so someone had asked me once about about this, too. And I don't write things down. I don't, I don't you know, I don't have uh, Tolkien. Herbert uh, had books and books and books of notes. And, you know, things that are, uh, as a fan, as a nerd that you're fascinated by, by the you know, the thought process and the, the notes of Tolkien that go into the similar alien or, or go into the appendices of Dune. Um, I don't have any of that. So like if, if I ever become a Herbert or a Tolkien fans ever want to know, like, 
you know, I want to see Darby's appendices. I, there's not any. So like, <laughs> cause it's all in my head. There's, so I, I've gotten in the last few years as I've gotten into the Eververse and in the Eververse become bigger and more complicated, I've gotten more in the habit of, uh, of putting down thoughts and, and for helping me as I'm writing it, sort of see the road ahead and see the road back and knowing where I'm coming from. But I don't have volumes and volumes of notes. I, this is really all in my head. And it's, and so I'm really only ever thinking about it. I'm only ever pulling out a file until someone asks me about it. Okay, so let me switch gears a bit because um, that's the political side. But how mm-hmm. about, you know, you've talked about um, last week's episode. You talked about the multiverse as being connected to string theory and it's on the molecular level it's not based on Mm. choices it's not based on uh the way a lot of movies portray it but it's a natural phenomenon yeah okay so now we're dealing with theoretical astrophysics yeah how much research and study of theoretical astrophysics did you do into string theory and into chaos Mm -hmm. theory to be able to yeah. understand it enough to then work that into your understanding within the the narrative a lot so uh, i spent uh, a lot of reading and thinking because it's 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 still theoretical about uh so there's a couple aspects so the when we talk about the multiverse so really um we're talking in most ways people think about the many worlds theory uh, from quantum physics, which is um, basically f- people might be familiar with the uh, the concept of Schrodinger's cat. So the cat's inside the box, and the cat's alive or dead. So either one could be true. The many worlds theory uh, is saying that both are true, and that basically every outcome generates outcomes generates outcomes, which is produces these sort of uh, macro, micro. Uh, bubbles within wave function with within quantum physics um that's the that's when when most people confront the concept of the multiverse in different sort of media that's what that is it's there are alternate universes that are generated by alternate by different outcomes and that's in fiction that's mostly presented as you know uh bobby kennedy didn't die so he became president instead of richard nixon but that's not really what it is or only is in reality. In reality, it's those. it goes down to, as I was saying, the molecular level because you have things that influence reality on a molecular atomic scale that we're not aware of. And so in this universe, um, our, blood is, uh, our blood is iron because a star exploded in the ancient past and uh, spit out a ton of iron which then led to the formation of our star and our planet and then ultimately us. So we're products of a dead star. Um, in another universe, that star um, became a black hole. It didn't explode, mm-hmm. right? So that altered the molecular reality of its local universe and produced something vastly different from us. It didn't produce us at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so because it, it's, it's, it's destiny, that, that star, that, that, the star that preceded ours, um had a different uh, atomic makeup something it was bigger it was denser something was different that type of thing um so i read a ton about the, the i i've a ton about the many worlds theory it's not the only theory in the multiverse idea there's also uh the the basically the many histories theory 
So the mini worlds theory in a nutshell is every potential outcome is valid and is possible and exists. The mini histories theory, this is sort of developed by Richard Fenneman, is that every uh, past potential exists. So not just future, you know, Sugu and I go on to become uh, co-presidents of the United States. Hell, I excel for working with Kevin Feige, but, you know. That as well. We also are not only presidents of the United States, but also <laughs> co-presidents of Marvel Studios. So that's one alternate universe. And then there's another alternate universe where um, in the past, um, where we never met in Trinity College, um, because of something, something I didn't get, I didn't, I applied, but I didn't get in or whatever. And so, um, divergences in the past going back. And so, you don't, and so I'm intrigued by this idea for a lot of reasons. And I'm intrigued by it because I'm a comic book nerd and you have, we've talked about on the pod elsewhere about the concept of continuity in comic books, which is in Marvel comics, you have the sliding scale Frank Castle was a Vietnam vet. He's now an Iraq vet. Peter Parker went to a Vietnam protest in the late 60s, but Peter just graduated college or graduated high school not that long ago in current comic books. DC is always resetting and rebooting and relaunching, and there's always a crisis. I will just say as a comic book nerd, as a a person who's fascinated by the, the concept of the multiverse, that I'm intrigued by both ideas and maybe in the Eververse you might see you might see how I think about that and how that those two concepts which are vastly different may may not be okay but mm-hmm. so then kind of con- con- connecting to all that do you do you keep a record of the things that you've read like do you do you like if we're talking about the multiverse now so do you have either a database or a list or even the books about ever the multiverse just kind of on your shelf like how do you no, keep track of what you've read yeah start there it's just in my it's just in my head okay so I, um, um, I think for me personally, this is an autistic thing. I just, it just goes into the head and I process it that way. Um, I, you and I were talking about before we started, uh, recording and I wanted to mention, um, I'm always fascinated by other writers process and the way that they work. And I'm fascinated by Tolkien and Herbert and the way that they sort of, put things down on paper and create and it's it's sort of this it's it's physical and it's real and you can access it i don't work that way my brain works differently and one thing i've discovered and and i so i know a lot of writers i'm i i love learning about the way that they work and one thing i we talk about sometimes when we're reviewing a movie or a tv show or a book and we're thinking about it we talk about a narrative economy and narrative efficiency one thing i've learned uh, is that the word efficiency doesn't apply in any way, shape, or form to the creative process when it comes to fiction sure. here. Um, it, it's, it's, I take years to write these books. I take years to think, to think about them. I feel like I'm getting better at it. I'm getting more conscious and aware. 
of uh, ways of um, of working, and and so I I hopefully you know I'm, I'm, you know but it, it for me personally it just goes into the head and then so I've read a book by uh, you know. Uh, Richard Fenneman or uh, Michio, I'm always mispronouncing his name, Michio uh, Kaku, or, um, you know, something like that when it comes to like quantum physics or Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, you know, those types of things. I'm, I'm, I'm watching a video or a lecture by Tyson about some of these things and um, it just goes into the head. And then as I'm writing as I'm writing, as I'm thinking, and I'm applying these ideas, then I then it goes back to sort of that sort of recall, and you know, and then so the world building aspect of it then is making sure that it's coherent and it's consistent, and you know that you know vis-a-vis -vis kit, the world, all these things, you know, the many worlds theory is a theory. So that doesn't mean I have to be absolute about it because there are different ways to approach it. And so the way that it's approached in the Eververse is not going to be 100% uh, faithful to the theory itself because you're taking liberties with it as you take liberties with everything. That's the other thing. You don't have to be 100% uh, mm -hmm. faithful to anything. It's a, it's a story. And so you can take your chances and you can take your swings. And so as you're developing your story, you're researching and you're wondering, you know, like, what, you know, do I need to have all of this? Do I need to be, no, no, you just need to take what you need, um, and apply it. And like I said, Ed, Heming, Hemingway talked about the iceberg, the iceberg theory, which is basically that the mid, like an iceberg, you see it on the surface, but actually beneath the surface, it's infinitely bigger. The reader doesn't see all of that. They, they, they're not going to see all of that work. Hopefully if you're successful as an author, they will know that it's there though. Right. And that's part of that bridge too. So we're sort of mixing a lot of metaphors right now, but that there's a lot of, <laughs> it's basically about if you're successful, you've given the reader their own agency within the story to understand that not only is the iceberg there, they can sort of fill in those blanks and they, they'll be, they'll be, and they won't necessarily, you know, they head, I'm a big believer in headcanon headcanon is valid so they they may interpret it differently than you intend they're going to that's 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 life right right but they're also going to understand that those things are there and so as they read the adverse and maybe they wonder about this or wonder about that they'll fill in those blanks and then maybe they'll also ask well i feel like that this is i want to know more about this I, I feel like there's something there and those are those are those are intentional Project Canary, who is Molly Swift, who is Abel Strong. Mm -hmm. What was the Doomsday Clock Alarm? Um, you know, those types of things. Um, and then you find those out. Those are the reason that those those dips are there, and you feel like those are, what is that about? And that's because the story is going to ask those questions. story is going to hopefully give you answers. And as you go forward, and, you know, if people, you know, maybe have more questions about things that they don't really understand that's great too because then the reader sort of is like you know well what about this and you know have you thought about that did you think about that you haven't thought of everything because you can't so um but some maybe it was you sugak i forget someone was asking me about a map like drawing maps yeah that was me um okay um because uh, uh, for me like yeah. an old novel that i started to work on an old fiction novel um just for the audience to know um i took the game sim city 4 and i built my 
location. Um, I built my setting in that game, SimCity 4, so that I had something to kind of yeah. uh, anchor onto. Um, so that way I could kind of visually see how the city was functioning uh, yeah. to then inform my novel. And so I was asking you, like, do you have any sort of visual thing, like a map yeah. or something like that for Breakpoint? Yeah. I don't. Uh, it, it, it. I don't have. A, I haven't drawn a map. Uh, I. It's in my head though. So if someone were to ask me, I think at this point in the story, a reader could draw a map of Breakpoint. Um, that would be, you know, accurate. Um, the, uh, you know, I. So I, I. You know, I can tell you where where things are. You know, as you get to book three, and certainly in the new collection, uh, in between, you get a little bit more. So. Sort of the late, you know, it's like Kit lives in uh, Kit lives in Six Corners, and I know you know Six Corners connects to everything. You go across the bridge over to the other side of the river to Claremont Avenue, and that's where the Blackboard Building is. And then on the north side of the island is where the Bloodbacks are, and they're in Brewster Park. And then they're bordering the lake, and the Strawmen, who you'll meet in the uh, story collection, are on the south end of the island, bordering another island called the Ice Pick, which is where the state penitentiary is. Uh, and then uh, also the old amusement uh, park, the the grounds there. Uh, you don't go down there for anything, uh, and <laughs> and that's uh, where a lot of the uh, sort of the industrial uh, sort of uh, old industrial heart of um, Breakpoint is. And then I saw I know where the I know where the ballpark is. I know where the airport Kirby International is. Uh, that type of thing. So, you know, I can, I, I know, you know, I, I can see it in my head. I have it in my head, but I don't have it. That might be kind of cool, you know, having a map. But so I just, I just keep that in the head and I can see it right now, um, you know, um, the city itself and, you know, uh, where those things sort of organize. But um, there's a, there's where, where other writers or artists, they have this thing that it sort of generates then into, so, you know, notes and and diaries and and uh drawings i can't draw if i did I, these would just be comic books and um uh that type of thing that i don't have i don't i, I just don't it just stays in the head and and the, a little bit of that's frustrating but I, I i know now why that is and i'm i'm okay with it but um it's you know i'm, I'm lucky that you know uh, my friend Al Hess is a great artist, and uh, Al does the covers for the books, and sometimes does uh, sort of character portraits too. So that is fun, you know. I get to sort of have that stuff that way of what the characters look like. Um, but I think for a person who, you know, for yourself developing, it's just really your own, you know. How do you approach it? How you know? How do you? Um, what's the best approach for you personally? It's just whatever works for you. I think you had said something to the effect of, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you sort of, you start it and then it starts to sort of, something happens where you say you, you sort of lose um, momentum or something. I forget how you said it. So what happens in it to me is that I will get an idea and I'll start to flesh it out and I'll hit kind of, not necessarily a wall, but I'll realize that I don't know enough about this topic to continue writing it. And so okay. I, I stop writing and then I start researching and I start, and, and for me, I use Evernote. I just kind of clip everything I read, every like book 
article, video on YouTube, whatever, like a summary of it goes into Evernote. So there's something written down of everything that I've consumed, thoughts about it, my interpretations, and ideally like potentials for future stories, that kind of stuff. So it all just goes into Evernote. My problem is, is that I've got so many notes now, it's kind of hard to find stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I'm kind of stuck between this world, between this thing of like, I'm writing something, but then I realize I don't know enough. So I go to do research and then I, I take notes on it and I, I get the knowledge, but then I can't find it later on. And so now I'm, I'm still stuck and then the writing doesn't progress. Okay. Um, we've talked a little bit um, off the pod about Scrivener. And I've found since I've switched to Scrivener, Scrivener has within it ability to have notes. and. Um, yeah, I've started to, uh, started to develop that and use that as well. Yeah. I've found it, and they have, it's very, very organized in a way that my brain is not. And so you can have notes, you can have character profile. There's a thing for places, you know, like mm -hmm. locations within the story. I found that extremely helpful in writing it. So I've stopped thinking. I used to think, I used to write in Word. I was a Luddite. I was a dinosaur. And I would just, it was all in the head, so I just kept it in the head. It didn't really matter that I was writing in Word. So now, but now I'm writing in Scrivener and then now I'm able just to go, well, because this happened, now I'm, I'm writing book five of the series. I don't remember everything. And so I don't, you know, I don't have, you know, would, you know, is there a detail about a character or a place or a thing that, that I, you know, I need to reference, you know, did Kit, did I talk about Kit's dad in book one? Did I talk about this? You know, I have to go back now to the books and I have to go back to my, the notes I have. And that kind of thing. Scrivener, I found to what you're talking about, is extremely helpful in that way. So I can just go right to the file, yeah. I can go right to the note, I can go right to whatever sort of scribble that I did um, to help me. And it's all there. It's within the it's within the project. Yeah. And so I I have the writing, I have the notes, I have all that reference. The one problem I have with Scrivener that is a huge stumbling block for me is that it's only on my my desktop PCs my yeah. my windows pc and my mac and that's it and syncing between the two is still a bit dodgy with scrivener yeah um yeah. so it's generally i don't do that whereas evernote is on my mac on my pc and it's on my tablet and and cell phone so when i'm out and about i don't have my computer on me and something i get an idea or i get some sort of thought or research or so i i I learned something yes. I can check right. it in Evernote and my structure for Evernote is it's fine. Like the organization structure of it, it's fine. But the problem is, at least for me, I use Evernote for everything, like not just sure. stories, but life, like daily goals or journal entries or, uh, five year goals or, uh, uh grocery lists or games I want to buy like board games I want to buy or transformers that I have like it just everything <laughs> goes into Evernote yeah. um, which means that when I'm trying to find an idea that I had for a story it's tagged as story idea 
but then there's also a bunch of other stuff as well that it gets hard mm-hmm. to sift through that. And so yep. Scrivener is great because it's focused on just stories. So the rest of my components of life aren't there. Um, and that part's nice. But at the same time, the other thing that's that's in a way helpful is having all that muck there because it it does give also a sense of legitimacy as well. And what I mean by that is uh, I just recently finished Lindsay Ellis's book, Axiom's End. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized that she is very comfortable with L.A. and L.A. geography. <laughs> yeah. And I used to be when I lived down there, um, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. I'm not familiar with L.A. geography anymore. And like, and, and I noticed this, this is not just Lindsay Ellis's book. It's also a lot of movies are very familiar with New York and LA that they just kind of make casual references to places. So for me, like for example, with my Evernote, I keep restaurants in Osaka that I like in there. So, and, and I have it tagged too. So if ever I run into friends that want to go out to dinner and they, and I ask them, what do you feel like if they give me any like cuisine I can go to that Evernote tag and get a bunch of restaurants in there. Well, if I happen upon those while looking through story ideas and stuff like that, it adds that air of Osaka legitimacy where I can actually like, oh, right, that would be near where this part takes place. So I'm not sure how to negotiate that mix of like extreme compartmentalization or letting it all kind of jumble together and then filtering out the best parts or the parts that I need. Organization is hard. (laughs) Um, It's very hard. I, I, I think I like to think of myself as organized understanding that I'm not. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I think it comes down to the individual. So I, I, my memory is that I remember everything. You were talking about streets, so I can walk you through Dublin. I can walk you through Brooklyn. I can walk you through um, those types of things. Because I, I have a photographic memory, I guess you'd call it. So I, it's not just photographic. I, I can, I, I, I won't go on about it, but I, I see everything, so I remember everything. Um, that's you know and so when i'm looking at a page you were asking me earlier where do you store do you keep a record of all this i just i know what i it's in my head because i read the page so um the uh, that's how my brain works my challenge is then as you were saying how do you organize that I, I may have it all in my head i don't have it in, my, in in drawers there aren't any labels it's it's in these Russian dolls and they don't come out and so there's a little bit of throwing out you know stuff you were saying about your ecosystems and your different um, computers and stuff so one reason a big reason why I'm completely Mac is because of the ecosystem and uh, so I use the notes app on the the phone and the the Mac uh, a lot like you use Evernote mm. And so, because I'm always out, I'm always writing down notes, I'm always thinking, whatever. 
and so and then that just I have that shares between all my devices and then to Scribner then I just the book notes uh, writing I just take those copy those from the P, the PC from the Mac and write into Scribner so mm-hmm. they're both open they're always open and they just go in and so there's some organization that way but like you said my notes app is a giant mess between uh <laughs> uh stuff for work uh groceries uh this really awesome thing i just saw um <laughs> expenses uh notes for books ideas for other books that type of thing so you know and that's not organized very well either uh so it it's i think the i think to your point though um to your question you know how do you reconcile these things um i i think the the biggest thing is i i would say is is to to prevent yourself from sort of stalling out when you're like you know how do I, you know, you get to a point and you're like, well, you know, I, I think it's trusting in yourself when you're writing the story, trusting that you will get to what you need when you need it. And so, you know, does the fact that the the president of the United States in the story in the Eververse is a Republican woman, former senator from the state of Georgia, does not matter to the story. But so I don't need it for anything. I know it just because it just it came out of a process of generation for other parts of the story. But I don't need that. But you're on the opposite end. So you do you 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 would not come to that in the way that I did. Your thing is in developing. You're saying, you know, I'm I'm researching this. I'm wanting to understand this. How does this help me to get to the story? I think for you, I would I would say, and for people maybe in the same boat, I would say I would just write. Mm-hmm. And you'd get to a point where you're like, well, I don't know about this. I don't know about the street or restaurant, or I don't know about this dynamic in the story that and is, then that's when you do your research and you do a little bit, but only just do enough to get you going because you're, you don't need to do all of it. You don't, you don't need to have the complete total 360 understanding of whatever it is that you're concerned with. What you need, you need the germ, you need the spark you need the you need a little bit to anchor it and then you can go forward and then as you go forward hopefully what happens is is then that the that stuff that you have then is then now informing that and you can go back you can extrapolate you can take more you can you can cut you can so you know what i don't need that that type of thing hopefully you know that's that's what i would say i and i would not burden personally i would not burden myself with thinking well i have to have I have to have all of this now. You don't. You definitely don't. You know. But everybody's different. Everybody's process is different. There are writers who they do all that. They do all that super. They do. There. <laughs> there. It was a writer who was going to do years plural of world building, crafting the world and the histories, the eras, but before they wrote a word of a novel. That's not my gig, right? That's not my thing. I feel like you just have to jump in but everybody's different yeah so yeah um i guess we can wrap it up there we're going long i did have a couple more questions and a couple more thoughts but i think i'll just let them let them lie um well hit hit me real quick maybe there's something uh if you got something you no because i i understand the whole um trust in yourself trust trust in the writing and all that um I get that. Like, 
I also I'm also approaching it from like in the academic writing point of view where you need to get your research ahead of time or not ahead not necessarily ahead of time but you form your writing after having done the research right like your your opinions are informed mm. then it's written I'm right and so that's very different from my thought process I'm a very intuitive instinctive writer right. but that those intuitions are hopefully based on you know sort of deep understandings of character and things and then doing the research when you need to do it yeah. so I know you know just to wrap to circle back to Wanda as we wrap up so I, I feel like there's been some mistakes made with Wanda in the MCU now which is frustrating and, and really really frustrating and in the comic books and I feel like you have to know who your characters are and when you don't it's a flaw in your world building and I I know who Kit is and I know where she's coming from I know things about her that the reader won't ever know and um, uh, that informs your character. And Kit is always going to be who she is. She's always going to be the person who stands up, who says no, right? Mm -hmm. And she's always she's going to be like that. This is wrong in whatever situation she's in, whether she has all the power or she has no power whatsoever. And she's also going to be the person who makes the same mistake over and over again, because she is who she is, right? And we're all creatures of habit, and we all we all think we figured it out, and we don't. And so she's gonna. She's going to turn to people that have disappointed her before. She's going to make the same mistake again, and and she that that type of thing. And it's the same thing with Val, and same thing with Abby. Abby is who Abby is, and I love Abby dearly. And Abby's probably closer to Wanda in this scenario than Kit is. Certainly, Abby is someone who would uh, kind of Illuminati some people in uh, Nothing Ever Ends. Um, you know, uh, but but that's a product of who Abby is. Uh, Abby is someone who possesses terrific power and also terrific anger. Mm -hmm. And so I, at the same time, I have to understand that that doesn't mean that she's an instrument for me to solve my problems in the story. So, you know, right, that's not right. how you solve your problems. You know, Ab, you know, that, that, so anyway, um, but yeah, I, hopefully, uh, people find this so interesting. Hopefully you found some of this conversation about the world building helpful. I still feel like I'm not answering your questions because I, I feel like what I do, what I start talking about this, I just feel like I'm just sort of some rambling idiot because I'm, I'm not, I don't make any sense to other people about this stuff because it's um, the way it, it's sort of me. It's, it's probably like reading uh, some technical manual that someone wrote backwards. Well, so. it, uh, the, the, it, it's kind of funny because um, or at least to me, it's funny. Uh, as you know, but our audience doesn't, I've recently started taking an art class uh, mm. because I don't know how to draw. Uh, quite simply, like, you know, and I've told my yeah. art teacher this. I can put image to paper, right? It's not a good image, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I can take a tool and make mm. a mark on a paper. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, and I can express myself-ish on paper. It's not good. It's not a great expression, but I can do something, right? I'm not yeah. worried about that. Uh, the problem is I have no technique. I have no idea what I'm doing or how to do the things I want to do. And that's what I want to learn in this art class. Yeah. And she told me the same thing that you told me, the same thing that people have told me since college. <laughs> You yeah. think too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I think there is truth to it in the sense that I think you just, I'm a big believer in, in you know, and just, just ripping loose, just doing the work. And, um, I, you know, you can be your own worst enemy sometimes when it comes to creative process. I know I can. And, and so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that, I think there's some truth to that. I think just <laughs> let it just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Well, uh, so to that, I, we can leave there, but, um, I would like to open it up to the audience. If the audience has any questions to you about world building or about, uh, maybe explaining some of the intricacies in Eververse that they've picked up on, but don't have an answer for like, <laughs> wh- who is president Kennedy? Um, yeah. So I'd like to open it up to the audience at this point. So if there's any questions that they have um well darb why don't you take it away that'll do it for today folks thanks again for joining us once again i'm darby harn and you can find more information about me and my books at my website darbyharn.com i'm also on twitter at darby harn sugu how can they find out more about us in the podcast you can follow us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can reach us at our email address shelfwarmers at gmail.com Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today, and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.